If you have your Bible today, we're going to be looking out of Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to look in verse number 31, and so this is an easy one if you have your Bible. It's the very first book in the Bible, and it will be at Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 in just a few moments. Uh, there was a man that was on his deathbed, and he was talking to his wife before he was getting ready to pass. He was kind of reminiscing with her, and so he began to talk to his wife, and he said, you know, I was, I was thinking about when we first got married, so we got married in the 1930s. It's a great depression, and he said, and I, you know, the, the entire time we were just dirt poor, said, but you were there. The 1940s, World War II came along, said, I, I enlisted, went over and fought overseas, came back home, and then there you were again. He said, in the 19, 1950s, Army called me off to go to Korea and fight, and I was injured there. And, I, and I woke up from the hospital, in the hospital and, and looked over, and there you were. The 1960s, of course, so turbulent. Our children were growing up, and we didn't know what in the world they were doing. Said, so, you were there. So now here I am, and I'm about to breathe my last. Here you are. He said, I'm just sitting here looking at you, and I'm starting to think that you're bad luck. Now, uh, you know, that is a, uh, my, my wife's not here, so I, she always goes over my story, so she doesn't like that one, but I do. I think it's a funny story. But I think sometimes as guys that whenever it comes to our relationships, our wives and communicating with them, sometimes we're not the greatest at, at speaking our feelings and sharing with our wives. Now, I think, that's, I think a lot of that's just normal stuff. I mean, there is a difference between men and women, and we're not going to get really into that today, but I do believe this. I do believe that whenever it comes to a marriage relationship, that God has something special in mind between a husband and a wife. And so the question is, well, what is it? What does God desire for us in the marriage relationship? Now, we are going through a new series of messages today. We're calling it Home, Some Assembly Required. And I, and I really believe that, that the goal for this series is for us to be able to, to start building homes that are going to be solid, to start building homes that are going to withstand the storms of life that inevitably come. And I, I really think that it begins, one of the best places that it begins is with, with the man. Now, some people are saying, well, why, why aren't you talking about women? Well, because I'm going to speak to you from where my knowledge is a little bit greater, and that is as a guy. I mean, if I just stand up here and tell you what women are thinking and what they ought to be doing, we all know that I would be lying because I have no idea. But I do know some things about guys, and I believe that the strength and the heart of a marriage and a home, it really is linked in to a man. And God has a special, special message for men, and he has a calling for us to love our wives. And we're going to see that today in Genesis chapter 29. We'll start in verse 31 in just a few moments. But this is a story about a man named Jacob in the Old Testament. And I'm sure that a lot of you are, are familiar with Jacob. Now, in Jacob's life, he starts off this way. He starts off, he gets married but he doesn't just marry one woman, he marries two. He marries Leah, and then he marries Rachel. Now, that right there should be the indicator that there is going to be problems in the home. I never recommend or suggest, and of course it's illegal, that you marry more than one person. Well, that is what Jacob did. I have no idea what he's thinking, but he marries Leah and Rachel. 
Our focus today, though, is going to be on Jacob and his relationship with Leah. And in that relationship, what we discover is that Leah was a woman who was lonely. She was a lady who felt unloved. She was a lady who did not have any companionship. She was a lady who was desperate for her husband to demonstrate some kind of love towards her. And I really believe there's a lot of people like that today. That whenever you look into their marriages, whether it's the man or the woman, that there are many people in marriage who are lonely, people who are desperate, people who are hungry for their husband or their wife to simply love them. And so what we're going to see today in our scripture is God's calling for us to love. And guys, in particular, for us to express and to demonstrate love to our wives like God intends us to do. Because when we do that, we are laying a foundation that's going to be solid, that our kids are going to be able to look to and find an example of how a man is to treat his wife. So, so what kind of lessons can we learn today? I think there's a few things that we can see. I think that whenever a man truly loves his wife or truly loves his woman, he's going to tend to her need to be adored. Now, if we're going to, if we're going to start off that relationship in strength, then, then we need to, men, we are to be looking to our wives and demonstrating adoration towards her. And I'll I'll try to explain it as we look in our text. Now, if you look in verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, it says that God opened her womb. But Rachel, and that's the other wife, she was barren. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben. For she said, The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. And she conceived again gave birth to a son and said, the Lord heard that I am unloved and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. Now, I really believe this. I believe every person in this room, we want to be loved. And we want to be loved by somebody. But if you're married, you're thinking, if I'm going to be loved, it'd be nice, you know, if my spouse loved me. And everybody has a hunger for attention. We have a hunger to be desired. Now, now you might say, well, you know, I'm not married. This, this scripture doesn't apply to me, so I'm going to go out in the lobby and grab a donut. Well, before you do that, let, let, me, let me share something with you. I believe that this is a, a text that's for all people. Because I believe that we can learn some lessons here about how we are to love people just in general. And so I believe this. I believe every person has a desire to be loved. And so what we're going to see today is what I think is a blueprint that God is laying out for how husbands are supposed to love their wives. Now, when I look into verse number 31, I find out that Leah was a lady who she was unloved. She's married, and the Bible says she's unloved. As a matter of fact, it's so bad, God notices it. It says, whenever God looked down at Leah, he noticed that she was a woman who was unloved. Now, now who didn't love her? It was her husband. Her husband did not have a love for her. He wasn't loving her like he should. Now, whenever Jacob married Leah, he had a responsibility to love her. And he had that responsibility because he'd entered into a marriage relationship with her. And the marriage relationship, believe it or not, is not about how to make myself happy. 
You know, there's so many times when I'll talk to people and I say, I'm just not happy in marriage. Now, I want people to be happy in marriage because that's what marriage is about. Marriage is a picture of the kind of love that God has for his people. The Bible says that the bride of Christ is the church. And so our marriage relationships are to reflect the kind of love that God has for people. Now, how much does God love people? I mean, what do y'all think? Oh, he, this much. Now, the Bible says God loves us so much that he gave his son for us, that his son laid down his life for people. So I look at Leah, and I see that her husband, he's, he's not following through. He's not loving his wife. She feels alone. She's miserable. She's desperate. She's hungry to be adored. And she thought, well, he's not paying attention to me. But if I just have a kid, in particular, if I start having sons, that's going to get his attention. Now, you might be thinking, well, she's crazy. But you have to understand that the culture of this day, sons having children was huge. But in particular, to have boys was, was economically the best thing that you could do. Now, we're not downplaying, again, it's a different culture. I'm not downplaying little girls. I love girls. I have one myself. And, and she loves me. She thinks I'm the greatest person in the world. Just don't ask her. But I know she does. So girls are wonderful. But it was an economic issue during this day. If you had a boy, well, for one, that you, you had one who's going to be able to take your inheritance and pass it down to his children. But you, when you had boys, your boys were your retirement program. You know, whenever you got older, they didn't have, you know, Social Security, which I don't guess we're going to have much longer. But we didn't have, they didn't have that kind of stuff. So what you did, you, you had sons, and when you got older, your boys would work and they would take care of you. Now, I know some of you have boys and you're thinking, thank the Lord, we don't have that program anymore. But that was the way that they survived during this day. So Leah, she thinks, if I have sons, my husband's going to love me. Why? Because his other wife, remember, it said that she was barren. She couldn't have children. And so sure enough, Leah, she had a son. and says she named him Reuben. Now that right there should give you a hint, the fact that she's naming the son and you don't see anywhere Jacob being involved in that. So once again, she's alone. She's thinking, maybe he will love me, but as you read on in the text, he doesn't start loving her. He just continues to go on. And, and I think it's interesting that now Jacob was not expressing love to Leah but it is interesting to see he's still sleeping with her. Now, he's, he's doing that. My guess is he's probably doing that because he, he wants a retirement program himself, and, and she can provide that for him. But ladies, let me, let me share something with you. Just because a man is willing to sleep with you does not mean that he loves you. And, and, and don't think that, well, maybe he will stick around and maybe he will care for me more if I have his children. That is not always the case. Husbands, don't think that just because you have a physical relationship with your wife, you, that you are showing your wife the adoration that she needs. That, that, that is not the ticket there. That does not always equal love. Now, I remember reading a story in the paper a couple of years ago, and it was about a lady in California, and she had been living with a man, and she ended up getting HIV. And, uh, and she didn't know. The guy had never told her. And it was just really interesting. As I read the article, the lady said, I just wanted somebody to love me. I don't think I should have to die for that. Now, I, I look at Lee, and I thought, that, that's how she was. She just wants somebody to love her. 
And so she is willing to do whatever she can to, to have children, to, to do anything to get the attention of her husband. And yet he, he's never following through. Now, man, let me say something. We have a calling from God to adore our wives, to love them, to show affection to them, to care for them, to pay attention to them. You know, there's an old story about Oliver Cromwell. And he was the Lord Protector in England, and this, I think it was like in the 1600s. And uh, he was in charge of England, and he, they'd caught a man who'd been stealing. And so he, was to, he sentenced the man to death. He was to be executed at the ringing of the curfew bell. And so here's the man. They bring him out. He's to be shot at the ringing of the curfew bell. As he's standing there, the men are ready to fire, but the bell never rings. And so Cromwell sends one of his soldiers off to the church to find out why the bell's not ringing. And the soldier climbs up into the church belfry, and he looks in there, and there is a woman that is hanging on to the clapper of the bell that's just swinging back and forth, and she's getting banged up against it. He gets her out of there, and he, he brings her down to Cromwell, and Cromwell asks who she is, and he finds out she is the fiancé of the man who's to be shot. And Cromwell, as he looked at her, he was moved by what she had done as he saw the cuts and the scrapes on her, and he said, your fiancé shall live because of your sacrifice. He said, the curfew shall not ring tonight. Now, do you think that guy adored that woman for what she did after that? I guarantee you he did. Men, if, if we adore our wives in that way, it will make a world of difference in your marriage. Your kids will notice. Your wife will notice. It will make it a different home. But that is a calling that God has for you. Because that's the way that God loves you. And so whenever I see how a man truly loves his wife, he's going to tend to her need to be adored. He's going to adore her. And so that's a question for me. Am I adoring my wife? But another, another thing that I see in our text is when a man truly loves his wife, he responds to her desire for companionship. He becomes a companion to his wife. And now look, look with me in verse number 34. Speaking of Leah, it says, She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, At last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. Now at this point it seems like that Leah would have figured out, I keep having children and my husband's still not paying attention to me. You would think that maybe she would have given up at this point. But she, she was hanging on to hope. That still, maybe if I just have one more kid, that things are going to be different with my husband. So she had another son. She named him Levi. But it's in, the, in this birth of this third child, we see something a little bit different. In verse 34 again, it says, Now this time, my husband will become attached to me. And that word attached, it means to be intertwined. Means to be joined to. She thought, if I have this third child, maybe it's this time that my husband will be joined to me. Maybe this time he will be my companion. He will be my friend. He will be somebody who values me. Now, at the time when she would look around, she, she didn't see her husband valuing her. She saw her husband valuing Rachel. I'm sure that was a sore spot for her. And so she looked at her marriage. She thought, I, I have no relationship with my husband, and I desire it. My life right now is miserable. Guys, did you know that God, God did not create marriage so that people could experience misery? Did you all know that? Some of you are going, really? God, that's not why God created marriage. God created marriage 
for us to reflect the love that he has for us. He created marriage for it to be two people coming together as one. God said back in Genesis 2.24, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Men, do you realize that whenever you committed your life to your spouse, that you're saying your life is now my life. That you are a part of me. Y'all, marriage is a really big deal. I mean, when you get married, you are saying you and I are now coming together as one flesh. Now think about that. Are you treating your wife as though she were a part of your very own body? I mean, how, how well do you take care of yourself? And I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about exercise or eating the right foods. I mean, just, just like looking after yourself. I, I can tell you what I do. I look out for number one. Then that would be me. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of myself. I, if I see something that could cause me pain, you know what I do? I avoid it. Now, that does not look like a good thing for me, and I will stay away from it. If I see food, and I think, that, I bet you that would taste good, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to figure out how I can get a piece for myself. When it's the last piece of cake and my children are around, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to get that and yet still look good and not look like I'm a selfish person? Because I am always, I'm looking out for number one. That's what we do. Now, now, here's my question. If you were one flesh with your spouse, do you do that with her? Do you treat her as though she were a part of your life, a part of your body? You see, too many times I think what we do is we use each other instead of cherishing each other. We, we use each other as tools. And, that, and that's, what, that's what Jacob is doing. He's using Leah as a tool. It's like, you know, my other wife, she can't have children, but this one can. And so I'm going to use her in order to get what I want. He was using her. He was not cherishing her as a person. So he says, whenever we get married, what, what happens to us? Y'all, we come together as one flesh. You know, it's amazing what can happen when we work together as one. It's amazing how strong your relationship can be whenever you treat each other as though they were a part of your own body. God has not called us to use each other as tools, but he's called us to realize that when we come together in marriage that we are to treat each other as though we were a part of each other's very own self. And that's what we do when we truly love each other. See, when a man truly loves his woman, he tends to her need to be adored. He responds to her desire for companionship. And it's the last thing I see. He values her hunger for hope. He wants her hope to be fulfilled. In verse 35, Leah, once again, she's having another kid. It says, and she conceived again. Gave birth to a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children. Now, they've been married for a while at this point, and it's interesting. So, so what is it that sustained her to keep going through this marriage? It was hope. I mean, every time she has a kid, she says, this time, he's going to start paying attention to me. After she has a kid, she said, this time, he's going to be my companion. This time, he's going to treat me like I'm a part of his, of his very own life. And so she has hope all of this time 
But things begin to change. And whenever you look in verse number 35, you'll notice that, that Jacob's not mentioned one time. She doesn't say, this time Jacob will do this. She just, she's done. She's lost hope. Hey guys, let me tell you something. We can, we can, there's a lot of things you can live without for a while. You know, you can live without food for, for, you know, for, they say for weeks. You know, you can live without water for a few days. You can live without oxygen I, for a couple of minutes, I guess, or a few minutes. But the, somebody said there's one thing you can't live without. You cannot live without hope. And so many times I look in marriages and I see that place when a person has gotten to a point in their marriage where they say, I am done. I have been hoping in my spouse that he will treat me different, or she'll treat me different, that she'll love me, that she'll pay attention to me, that he'll treat me as a companion, and it hasn't happened, and I'm through. You know, whenever a person loses hope, and when they lose hope in marriage, let me tell you, I promise you that marriage is going to end. It's going to crumble. It's going to come apart. Now, now why, if you read on, Leah doesn't doesn't quit on her husband, but she has her hopes changed. Now, it's interesting. Her hope now is no longer in her husband, but if you look at verse number 35, she has placed her hope in a new place. And in verse 35, she says, this time, I will praise the Lord. Her hope has shifted. Now, I think where we can get in trouble in marriage so often is we place our hope in each other. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't expect things from one another, but your hope should never be in, in people. You should, you don't, don't put all your chips on a person because I tell you, a person is going to, they're going to they're gonna let you down. People fail. So, so where do we place our hope? Well, we, this is the good example that Leah gives. You place it in God. You place your hope in Him. Why would we do that? Well, there's a couple reasons. You read through Scripture, what you discover is God is, He is always faithful. He never lies. He always comes through. He loves you unconditionally. He has a plan for your life. He has a future for you. Husbands, the best thing that we can do in order to build a marriage, to lay a solid foundation, is to place our hope in the God of Scripture. So how do I do that? Lead your family. Lead your family to Jesus. So I think it's so important, one of the greatest things that a man can do is to bring his family with him to a place where Jesus is worshipped. Bring them into the church. One of the greatest things that you can do is demonstrate the hope that you have in God is whenever you sit down at a meal or whenever you're getting ready to go on a trip or just whenever you're, whenever you're home, pray. Simply take time and say, you know what, just together as a family, we are going to pray for God's blessings. Maybe you have somebody that, that's in need. You lift them up in prayer and say, I have a hope that my God can intervene into a person's life who needs healing who needs support. And whenever your family sees that your hope is in God, it, it gets their attention. It helps them to begin to shift their focus from you to the God that you worship. You know, I, I told this story before, but I love this story about the importance of hope, and they're trying to quantify hope. 
And so they did a, they did a, uh, some, some scientists uh, did some research on it. They got laboratory rats and they got sub, one set of them and they put them in a bucket of water and they all drowned within an hour. But then they got another set of lab rats and they put them in the same bucket of water and after about like every 30 or 40 minutes, they would reach in and they'd lift those rats up, hold them up for a while, and they'd put them back down the water. Those rats lasted for over 24 hours. Now, it wasn't because they were getting so much rest when they would pick them up. They'd just do it for a few seconds. But it was, it was the hope that if we just simply stay up, maybe somebody's going to reach down and pick us up. It's hope. Now, that's what hope does. Hope helps you to hang on. Hope helps you to move forward. And that's why I believe one of the greatest things that husbands can do, that men can do, is to place their hope in Jesus and to lead their wives and their children to the Jesus who gives hope. So as I look into our scripture, I think, about how am I, how am I supposed to love my wife? You know, what am I supposed to do? What, what is a biblical view of marriage, and, and I look at Jacob and Leah, and they, y'all, if you read the story about this couple, they are the most screwed up family that you're going to see. They are a disaster, and yet we can learn some biblical lessons from them. What, what lessons can we learn? If you're going to love, tend to your spouse's need to be adored, respond to her desire for companionship, and then value her hunger for hope. By you placing your hope in the God of Scripture. That's easy, isn't it? So your marriages, all the problems you got, they're solved today. Go home and do likewise. I mean, this is, the hard part is application. Okay, so, so then, you know, what, what, what can we do? What can we do to kind of get moving in that direction? Now, here's how I think we can kind of close our service in this way. Yeah, I, I believe that a, a really good start is for us to take time, for those of you who are married, and you might say, I, mean, I don't really want to do this. Do it anyway. Take time, it's a few moments, bow your head, and you can close your eyes and say, Lord, I want to thank you for my spouse. Just, just thank God for your spouse. And some of you might be saying, I'm going to be praying, Lord, thank you for my imperfect, my imperfect mistake-prone spouse. That's all right. Give God thanks. God, y'all, there is nobody in here that has it all together. There is nobody in here that has lived a perfect life. We are all messed up, broken people. God knows it. So why don't you pray and you say, God, I want to thank you for my husband. I want to thank you for my wife. Because God, you gave them to me. And Lord, I pray that I will be the kind of spouse that you've called me to be. And so let's just take this time. Why don't we just all just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're married, now you might say, I'm not married yet. Well, then don't pray this prayer. But if you're married, pray. Say, Lord, I just want to thank you for my, I want to thank you for my husband. I want to thank you for my wife. And as you pray that, Husbands, it could be that you need to tell the Lord, say, Lord, I I pray that you will help me to be merciful, to show grace and kindness to my wife. Now, in the back of your mind, you might be thinking, but they don't deserve it. Well, you know what? Neither do you. And yet God 
has demonstrated His mercy and grace to us. And so why don't you just pray, say, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to be gracious and merciful. Lord, I pray that they will respond to the love that I give them. And maybe others of you, you just simply need hope. And it could be you've been placing your hope in a person, you've been placing it in in things, and and you're disappointed, and you're not satisfied. Let, Let me encourage you to place your hope in Jesus today, if you've never done that before. And just where you're seated, I I would encourage you, just simply talk to the Lord. You can pray to Him and and just simply say, Jesus, today I I am turning to you in hope. Jesus, I'm going to hope in you. Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. Jesus, I, I I am sinful. I am messed up. God, I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I will entrust my life to you, and I am trusting that you will save me. I am believing that you died and that you rose from the grave for me. Lord, I give myself to you today. Now, if you prayed that or something like it, let us know. Take your bulletin out, fill out that contact form. Check that that line that says, I commit my life to Christ. You tear it out, we'll have ushers holding baskets at the back as you leave. Just drop that in there so we can get you some information in the mail growing in a walk with Christ. You know, our our hope, our desire is for us to to have homes that represent Jesus. And you know what? If if that doesn't just happen on its own, some assemblies required. Guys, that building process, it begins with us. Man, it starts with us. You want to see change? It starts with you. You're the leader. Let it begin with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that that you love us. And we are told in the book of Romans that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, I pray that you will raise up men who will love their wives regardless. who would lay down their lives for their families because they love them. Jesus, I pray that we will see homes being built here that will last. Lord, where the foundation is broken, Lord, I pray for healing. God, I pray that, that you will instill in your people that there is the hope of Jesus even when things seem hopeless. bless us. Help us to look to you and to remember that your love, it never fails. And I pray this in Christ's name.